Hey, you guys ever just ask this this question? Maybe you ask it in your mind. Maybe you just ask it out loud. I don't know. But the question of what does it mean to be someone like me? You ever just think about that? Like of all the people that I could have been, of all the roles that I could have played, of all the identities that I could have taken up as my own. What does it mean that it turns out that I'm somebody like me? You know, I know when I was growing up, one of the earliest things I remember about kind of figuring out what it means to be me took shape in the context of my family. And for my family, a lot of divorce, a lot of people live in different places. And so when we were together as a family, usually it was a holiday. And on holidays, you eat. And so one of the things I knew was that I'm part of this group of people who have been called together to eat, you know, and so I want to be really good at that. And I remember just being a little guy, just a little fourth or fifth grader. And when I was in fourth or fifth grade, I looked like I was in first or second grade, you know, just I was always just the runt, tiny little kid. But I used to just love it when my grandma would watch me pound in a pile of country ham and would talk about how that boy can really put away some food, you know. And so I started to locate my identity. Hey, I'm the ham eater, man. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that if nobody else is going to eat the rest of the country ham, don't worry. It will be taken care of because Ryan will eat the ham. Don't worry about it. I mean, to the point that even to this day, if I'm eating Thanksgiving dinner with my grandpa, he still looks over at my plate to give me an attaboy if I have a good pile of country ham Sitting there, like I feel bad if I don't eat enough country ham because that's who I am. I'm the ham eater, you know. And I want to, I want to live up to that thing, and that's just kind of crazy that even you know, 33 years into this project called Coke, I'm still thinking of myself as the ham eater. You know, it's ridiculous, but we all, I think, have this desire to have that question answered. Like, what does it mean for me to be someone? Like me. What's what's it all about? And some of us, some of you try to locate that identity like in your profession. So the way you get the answer to that question is that every day you get up and you go to work and you pursue this profession, this vocation. And in your mind, that's how you have located the answer to the question. What does it mean to be you? Others of you, you might have located the answer to that question in your relationship to some other people. Maybe maybe the thing that answers that question for you is I am so-and-so's husband or I am so-and-so's wife or I am so-and-so's friend or I am so-and-so's daughter, father, mother, grandparent. Your identity is bound up for you in these relationships that you have. Maybe you're a different kind of person altogether. Maybe for you, the answer to that question is located in your dreams about the future, your ambitions, your vision. Maybe that's what lights you up. Maybe that's what gives you a clue as to who you are. Maybe that's what helps you to understand what it means to be you. Others of you, maybe you look at your past accomplishments. Maybe you can look back at all the things that you've done. Maybe you can look back at all the good decisions that you've made. 
Maybe you can look back at the accomplishments that you can point to. And those are what answer the question for you. And others of you, maybe maybe you're kind of hard on yourself. And when you go to answer that question, you can't see anything but a past of regrets and mistakes. Maybe that's maybe that's who you are. And so you've located your identity in those regrets and those mistakes. But no matter which one of those, no matter which one of those you are, I think all of us have grabbed hold of something as the thing that clarifies for us what our identity is and what our identity should be. Who are we? What does it mean to be someone like me? And and what I want us to do is I want us to take a look in the book of Luke in chapter 10. And we're just going to kind of check out. One, one little glimpse at Jesus helping to shed some light on this question. Just one little glimpse. We're in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be in verse 38 to start with. Luke 10, verse 38. You probably got a heading there. It says, Mary and Martha. So I'm sure you're all familiar with this passage. But we're going to read it aloud. Then we're going to walk through it bit by bit. And then I'm going to attempt to kind of place it in its context in Scripture and grab from it some some ways that we can help answer this question about what it means to be someone like me. Let's read it together. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So at the start of this text, what we see is that Jesus has come into this home and we're told that the home belongs to a woman named Martha who welcomes him into her home. And at this point, Martha is doing exactly what Martha should be doing. She's showing hospitality. She's being a good hostess. She is welcoming Jesus into her home. Just a couple of chapters back, we see Jesus sending his disciples out into the villages. And he tells them to speak peace upon those who welcome them into their homes. But to shake the dust off their feet as they leave the homes of those who are not welcoming. So we've got someone here who is acting exactly as Jesus would have her act. She is welcoming him into her home, showing hospitality, all those things that that she needs to be doing. Not only that, not only is it what Jesus said people should do before they can receive a blessing from his disciples, but it's also the cultural expectation that she would be hospitable, especially in this time as a woman. It is her role. It's the societal expectation that her role would be. To open her home and show hospitality so that Jesus can do what Jesus needs to do there in her house. So she's doing that. And then we hear about her sister. 
Here's her sister. Her sister is called Mary in verse 39, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And so here we have another sister, Mary, and she is doing the opposite of what she should be doing. According to societal expectations, Mary should be up helping to serve. Mary should be helping to show hospitality to the folks who are at her home. Mary should be joining Martha in being who she is expected to be. But she's not. Instead, she's sitting at the Lord's feet. And this doesn't necessarily mean that like Jesus' feet are right here and she's, you know, right there at his feet. It just means that she has decided to focus instead of on serving. She's decided to focus in this moment on learning. And so she's in the group of folks who are at Jesus' feet to hear his teaching. And that's what she's doing. And in doing that, she is not following cultural expectations. In fact, I'm sure that Martha is not the only one who would look at Mary with a little bit of a suspect eye, but probably the folks in the room are kind of wondering, like, what is she doing in here? Kind of crowding up in our teaching time. She needs to be back there fixing some more brownies or something, you know? That's the, that's the expectation in the room. And now we'll hear some more about, about Martha. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And all of you have probably, if you've got any kids or have ever been around kids, you've probably experienced something just like this. So Martha, in her distraction, in her busyness, she runs up to the Lord and she says, Lord, you know what Mary's doing? She's done left me to serve this whole place by myself. I know she's in here paying attention and stuff, but she's not being who she's supposed to be. She's not doing what she's supposed to do. What do we what do we call a person who runs up to someone and says something like that? She's been a little bit of a tattletale, right? And the reason that she's being a tattletale is because she feels like she has done exactly what's expected of her. She has been exactly who she's supposed to be. She has followed all the societal expectations. She has checked off every box in the what does it mean to be Martha sheet. And her sister has abandoned all of that just to sit and listen to Jesus talk for a while. Jesus, aren't you mad at her? Don't you like me more than her? When this is all said and done, am I not the one who will get the brownie points at the end of this day? And don't you forget it. I'm the one that's put all this together, Jesus. She's just sitting here kind of soaking it up. This is Martha's disposition in this moment. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. This is really cool because here we are at a meal and Jesus being golly, just the master of the impromptu metaphor, always ready with the metaphor, brings in a food metaphor. 
Mary, you're, you're wearing yourself to death with this 10 course meal. All you had to do was bring me some soup. You know, only you only had to do one thing. You just had to bring some food. All you had to do was just kind of prepare a meal. You didn't have to worry about all these little decorations onto the whole thing. Just take care of the meal. It's no big deal. But in the same sentence, he's also saying, Martha, you are caught up in checking off this list of all the things that it means to be someone like you. You need to just take that list, do away with it, and realize there's only one thing that you need to worry about. Then he tells her, Mary has chosen the good portion, which is another food metaphor. She's taken taken the big piece of chicken, in other words. Mary has taken the best part of this meal. Mary has chosen the best thing on offer tonight, and it will not be taken away from her. So here's what here's where we land. We land in this place where Jesus idea of what it means to be someone like Martha is very different from Martha's idea about what it means to be someone like Martha. You see, Martha is concerned that she would fit into the expectations of her family, of her friends, of her guests, of society. And Jesus is concerned only that she would fit into the expectations of Jesus. And as we look at this text, we can kind of get a hint of what it means to fit into those expectations. What we see Mary doing, what we see her prioritizing, what we see her grabbing hold of is that she needs to do one thing to please Jesus. And that is to sit at his feet and become who he would have her to be. Do what he would have her to do. And so she has understood that her entire identity is wrapped up not in societal expectations, not in Martha's demands, but in who Jesus would have her to be. And that is defined by receiving the word of Christ. You see, this isn't the first time that we see that the most important thing about a person, the most important thing about a child of God is to sit at his feet and receive his word. Check this out. By God's word, the whole earth was created and everything that we see. By God's word, Abraham was called to be God's representative to carry out his saving mission All across the globe so that the descendants of Abraham, by receiving this promise, are sent on mission to carry out God's saving agenda worldwide. By God's word, the people of Israel are constituted at Mount Sinai. When they receive God's revelation from the mountain, they are then a nation They are then constituted as the people of God, a people defined by their love for God and their love for each other. By God's word, David is promised a lasting kingship. David is promised that his descendant will be the one who will rule over all the universe. By his word, he receives this promise, this life-giving instruction that applies not just to David, but to all of mankind, he says. 
Listen, by God's word, when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're made a brand new creation. Upon hearing and believing the gospel, you become brand new. And it's the same kind of thing that happens in you that happened when God spoke the whole world into existence. All by God's word. By God's word, the church comes into existence at Pentecost. So Peter receives the Holy Spirit. He preaches the word of Christ's mercy, the word of Christ's goodness. And from that point on, the church exists by God's word. And so you and I as the church... Mary as one who would follow Jesus. Martha as one who would hope to follow Jesus. We are those who are called to sit at the feet of Jesus and receive the divine instruction so that we can become those who live as he would have us live. So that we can become those who shine his light in a dark universe. So that we can become those who represent him among all the nations. But in order for us to do that, we have to first sit at the feet of Jesus. And when you're sitting and you're thinking about this question, what does it mean to be someone like me? Jesus doesn't want you to make a pie graph and make sure that more than 50% of it is filled up with Jesus stuff. And then the rest of it is filled up with whatever not what he wants. He wants the entire pie graph to be his. Your entire identity, everything you are, only takes its greatest meaning when you have sat at the feet of Jesus, understood his desires for you, and determined how you will live your life based on his word. One commentator put it like this. I love it. When we rely on our moral intuition, just going about doing the things that we think are right and wrong based on what society expects of us, we are not living as light. We're just like everybody else when we do that. I can point to tons of good people outside the church who follow their moral intuition, but it is not formed By having sat at the feet of Jesus. The things that you've accomplished are good things. Your relationship as a father, as a son, as a mother, as a brother, as a grandparent. That's a good, good thing. Your dreams, your visions, your ambitions. Those are good things. Your regrets. Those are good things to run from. To try to move past your failures. Those are good things to try to learn from and, and try to try to not repeat in the future. All those all those are fine. But in order for us to be who Jesus would have us to be, we have to sit at his feet and allow our entire lives to be defined by his desires for us as communicated in his scriptures. And that's it. So here's what, here's what I want to ask you. In the last two weeks, let's just make this real and tangible and easy to answer. In the last two weeks, what has it meant to be 
someone like you. In the last two weeks, where have you located your identity? In the last two weeks, have you been just trying to make a nice balanced pie graph? Or have you surrendered everything that you are to Jesus and sat at his feet to receive instruction about who we as humans, we as his children are intended to be? Because no matter how good our actions, how good our thoughts, only when they arise out of relationship with Christ are we everything he's intended us to be. And only when we're acting in that sort of obedience are we able to please him. The Bible calls it the obedience of faith. The obedience that arises out of having sat at the feet of Jesus to hear his word. The obedience of faith. Give yourselves to Jesus. Sit at his feet. And let the divine revelation, the word of God... That life-giving word teach you and train you how to be you. And let him be the answer to the question, what does it mean to be someone like you?